Good morning, LifePoint. How's everybody doing? Ah, I like that. I, I, the feedback helps. I have all my beverages. Um, as I've heard some of you, the little cough, the little tickle in the throat, I got that too. I got some Ricola. <clears throat> Excuse me for clearing my throat several times, but hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get through this. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm excited to share with you guys today. Uh, it's something that I've dealt with time and time again over the years. And when Pastor Alex asked me uh, to speak, he, you know, he's, is there anything you've been chewing on lately? I'm like, well, yeah, this has been in my mind for a long, long, long time. And it starts kind of with questions we ask kids of the what do you want to be when you grow up, right? Like that's kind of where it starts. Somewhere in high school, uh, the questions morph into are you going to college, trade school? Are you going straight into the workforce? What are you doing? Um, and really that question as you, you mature and you grow into adulthood becomes something in the realm as you're kind of in a quiet place by yourself of, you know, like, what am I doing? What's my purpose? What's my calling? What am I supposed to be doing? Um, and that, I think, is at the crux of all of it. Really, the, the name of the message today is, what's my ministry? Uh, can we all say that together? One, two, three. What's my ministry? I'm so glad you asked. Um, I'll be honest with you, like, there's enough in the Bible to, to really take four or five weeks. I have 20-something minutes, so we're going to go quick. Um, if you've heard me speak before, you, you know I love to start with definitions. Since we're all coming from so many different places, different walks, some of you were born in the third pew of your home church. Some of you, this is the first time in church. Uh, so starting with a definition gets us all on the same page and, and allows us to kind of start from the same place. The problem with the word ministry, for me, is it, it's a little churchy. And I went to the Oxford Dictionary to get the definition, and it does not help. Uh, ministry, it, we have it, I believe, uh, is the work or vocation of a minister of religion. Now, there's a couple problems with that definition. One, I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to use a, of the word in the definition ever. They say that's a bad thing. Um, so that one really doesn't help. So I think if we dive into the Bible, we're all going to become Greek scholars for a moment. Uh, what you find helps out a lot. So if you're new to the Bible, it's broken up into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament's about 70% of it was written in the Greek. Uh, so when we look at the Greek in the New Testament, uh, we find the word for ministry, minister, it's the word diakonia. Can you all say that together? Diakonia. And it's really easy. It means to serve. It helps a lot. So when you look at Matthew 20, 28, Jesus is saying, I did not come to serve, but, or be served, but I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. He wasn't looking to be ministered to. Uh, we can see that in the way that he lives. So what that does for my message, what's my ministry, uh, it becomes this other thing. It becomes, how can I be of service? I think that right there helps a lot. I don't know about you, but it takes it, the word ministry, right? Mother Teresa had a ministry. Uh, Billy Graham had a ministry. The disciples had a ministry. Uh, pastors have a ministry. But the idea of how may I be of service, I can apply that more to everyone in what you're doing. The core definition takes you from the large idea down to the what am I doing every day. And it's series of days like that, that you're choosing to be of service. It's a series of days like that that really build these huge ministries that we know and love all over the place in 1990 in the united kingdom a guy by the name of dave cook and his wife jill 
uh, felt called. It was after the Cold War, and there was a lot of Romanian orphans, and they felt called to do something. And so Dave reached out to a local radio station to get supplies uh, for the thing that they wanted to do. At that time, they were able to fill 3,000 shoe boxes. Some of you know what I'm talking about now, shoe boxes. Uh, fast forward three years later, Dave reaches out to Franklin Graham. Some of you may know that name. He, who partners, they all partner with Samaritan's Purse. And since then, Operation Christmas Child has reached over 198 million children in over 170 countries. As they say on their website, the project delivers not only the joy of what for many kids is their first gift ever, but also gives them a tangible expression of God's love. I love that, that statement, a tangible expression of God's love. Imagine if Dave and Jill Cook, as they were setting out, as they felt called to do something for those Romanian orphans, if they said, they started with, how are we going to reach 198 million kids? That, I think that, doing that to ourselves has killed more ministries early on than anything else because we have this huge, grandiose idea. Instead, Dave and Jill Cook focused on the kids that they could help, and at the end of the day, that's what it's about, those tangible expressions of God's love to those that have been placed on our hearts. So with that in mind, as we're looking to figure out how we can serve, we all have 24 usable hours in every day. I think some people argue with the usability of the 24 hours we have. Uh, some people really like their sleep, less other people don't need as much sleep, but we have jobs, we have responsibilities. Um, when you're, you're starting out to figure out how may I be of service, what, what can I do? Uh, Pastor Alex shared this note with me as I was preparing the message that I think it's a great place to start for all of us. It, it says this, what makes your heart break and your fist clench. I think that, we see that in the Old and the New Testament, of that is the thing that stirred people. They, their heart was broken, and so they moved. Uh, in the Old Testament, we have Nehemiah. If you're not familiar, Nehemiah, uh, he was Jewish, but he worked for the king of Persia, uh, away from Jerusalem, in a secular position. And I believe it was in the city of Susa that he was. His brother goes to visit him with a couple other guys. And Nehemiah asks him, what, what's the state of Jerusalem and the Jewish people there? And we find this in Nehemiah 1, 3 through 4. They said to me, those who survived exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, when Nehemiah heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Hearing about that broke Nehemiah's heart. And it makes sense. It's, it's the people you know and love. It's, it's Jerusalem, right? The, the city that God had built. And it was broken. That broke Nehemiah's heart. He fasted. He prayed. If you want to read the whole story, it's, it's really amazing. There's a whole other sermon there about how Nehemiah, even though he was in that secular position with the king of Persia, that job equipped him and gave him the skills and abilities in order to build the wall later. If you know the story of David and Goliath, uh, it's in First Samuel. You find that David, his dad, sends him out to the battlefield uh, to check on his brothers. And when David arrives, he's hearing Goliath. About twice a day, Goliath came out. And basically talked trash to the, the armies of Israel, uh, said mean things, uh, very mean, disgraceful things. And David gets there, and he hears it, and he's like, whoa, 
who's this Philistine that's talking trash about the armies of the living God? Like, what, what are we doing about this? Because nobody believed. But David moved. It, I think that probably uh, broke his heart and made his fist clench a whole lot. In the story of Moses, it doesn't always work the way you want it to. He witnesses an, Egypt, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and so he kills the Egyptian and hides the body. So just because we're moved, we have to be careful because sometimes, especially when we're in those fist-clenching times, it's really easy to let langer, anger be our first response versus love and compassion. In the New Testament, right? So that's the Old Testament. There's plenty more there. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see Jesus being moved with compassion many times before he feeds people, before he teaches them, before he heals them, based on what they needed in that moment. Tangible expressions of God's love as food, as medicine, as teaching. One that really strikes me is in Matthew 14. It's Matthew 14, verses 13 and 14. When Jesus heard what had happened, we'll talk about what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing this, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So what, that first part, when Jesus heard what had happened, what Jesus heard had happened uh, was John the Baptist had been beheaded. So his family, the one that baptized Jesus, the one that paved the way for Jesus, that came before, that God ordained to come before Jesus, had been beheaded, killed. Jesus hears this. He needs to take a moment, I think, as any of us would. We want a, a moment of privacy, take a step back, regain our composure, have, have a moment to just pray, get centered. That's what Jesus is trying to do. And the people follow him, as they often did. And even with dealing with that in that moment, the compassion shines through. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. So you may still be struggling with what breaks your heart or makes your fist clench. I know for me, you know, it's not going to be the same thing for everybody. Uh, what did it for your brother or your sister may not do it for you. For me, uh, my wife... <laughs> What does it for her does not like she loves all of God's creatures and there's been times that she's bought like a 50 pound bag of dog food uh, for a homeless guy that's got his dog over there and my realist brain right I'm sitting there I'm like honey you're giving the guy 50 pounds to carry around mainly because I was in the army I carried 50 pounds around a lot and I don't want to do it anymore but that's that's where I'm coming from but the guy was nothing but grateful and thankful for the food for his pup. So what does it for one is not going to do it for other. And what, what at the end of the day, that tangible expression of God's love is going to look very different as it's being doled out across the board. I love the image. Uh, in medieval times, you had the king's court. Court isn't exactly how we think about it today. When the king and queen would hold court, it looked something like this, right? Like you guys would be the attendants of the court. The lords and the ladies of the lands, the knights, the fair maidens. Up here, you'd have the king and the queen. And then people would come from all around with their issues, things that were going on in the realm that they needed the king to deal with. The king, upon hearing, right? So somebody comes up, the bandits are ransacking the Walmart on 64. We need someone assigned to deal with the bandits. 
you know, the king hears this and he says, oh, well, Sir Shane, I, you know, I charge you with dealing with the bandits uh, up there. And he, Shane would take that, he would gather his men, and they would go deal with it. That image of dwelling in the king's court in order to receive the guidance from the king, I think is so critical in our lives. We find in Psalms 84.10, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Attending God's court, what does that look like? We say it, what, is, what does it look like? And I always, you know, teaching the youth or anything like that, you hate to just, you know, go to with like the Bible school answer or whatever. But at the end of the day, so much of it goes down to that. Spending time in God's word. If you want to attend God's court, God's word, we say it here at LifePoint, nothing will get you farther, faster than spending time in the word of God. Learning his heart, seeing the way he's moved in other lives so that you can better recognize how he's moving in your life on the day-to-day basis. Spending time in prayer. Having a relationship, because here at LifePoint, we're not about religion. We're about that relationship. It's hard to say you have a best friend if you haven't talked to them in two years. Right? Like, I challenge the youth with that a lot. Can you call someone a best friend if you never talk to them? Um, I I would argue no. Spending time in prayer, working on that relationship, seeing what the Lord has for you is a great way to attend his court in order to receive his guidance. Lastly, we did it here today. Worship, it's great on Sunday. It's great on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and again on Sunday. Worship, it's praising his name for the things he's doing every day in our lives, the things we've been given. We can worship every day, every week. I think the way Jesus responded after he heard John the Baptist had been killed was partly because he spent time in God's court, both physically before he arrived, but also while he was here, taking that time to pray, taking that time to worship, taking that time to know and understand God's word. Now here at LifePoint, you may be struggling still. Okay, I don't know where to start. We want to equip you with any possible way that you can get started. We believe that uh, there is a program here at LifePoint that is at the very heart of everything we do and talk about. Um, Brenda, if you want to come up and share the vision for that. Everybody give Brenda a hand. Thank you so much. Justin, thank you for choosing to share that message today. You raised a very powerful question. Is there any way would I confuse you guys if you put that post-it note back up there? Is that too much? Yes. Wow. What makes your heart break and your fist clench? Does that evoke an emotion in any of you guys? I know it certainly has for me. So today I'd like to share just a little bit with you about myself. I was raised by my grandmother. And in the latter years of her life, her declining health meant that she would no longer be able to live on her own. I really struggled with this because I kind of felt like a failure putting her into an assisted living facility. But since Jim and I had both full-time jobs, there really wasn't any other option. And so 
I just resolved myself to make sure I would visit her every single chance I got. So over the next couple of days, or excuse me, over the next couple of years, I was there almost every day. When I would walk in that door, I would notice the many residents there. Some, one would be here, one would be there. They'd be scattered about. But so often they were alone. And that wasn't something I witnessed just one time. It seemed like every time I went there, they were alone. The thing I didn't see or sense was community or visitors. Oftentimes, I would stop and greet them and have a conversation with them, and we would always gravitate to them talking about their family. They would ask sometimes, where's, where's my children? Where's, where's my husband? On occasion, um, they, would, they would be excited and they would tell me, my daughter's coming today, or I'm having a visitor. And I was really saddened because I knew that that probably wasn't going to happen. So when my grandma passed away, I have to be really honest with you, I never wanted to go back there. Because not only was my heart aching for her passing, but my heart had been broken for those people. And it was from that emotional experience that God began to reveal his plan for me. Fast forward several years, God has led me to become involved with the Share the Love program we have here. Could you share the next picture, please? This is absolutely my most favorite picture because it depicts the whole heart of Share the Love. Now, I hope you said, or I hope you heard that I said earlier, he began to share my ministry with me. He didn't reveal everything to me because he knew I wasn't ready for it yet. As a matter of fact, Monday, when I got the call from Alex that said, hey, I was thinking about you. Justin's going to be speaking this week, and it's on the very thing that we've been talking about. My brain is saying, actually, it wasn't my brain. It was Satan saying, no, 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 you can't do this. You can't do this. You're not strong enough. You're not equipped enough. But God said, remember, this was the door you wanted me to open. So here I stand, really nervous, but I just want to share with you guys that I am in awe of how grateful God begins preparing you for something long before you're even aware. And so here we are today, and... I want to show you some of the pictures that we took last summer when we began our first summer Share the Love initiative. We took breakfast, lunch, snacks, and goodie bags to organizations that we wanted to honor. We worked at the East Texas Food Bank, we held blood, held blood drives, and we held a work day for one of our very own. We did so much more. As this, as this vision for the ministry evolves, it becomes increasingly apparent that Share the Love is the heartbeat of LifePoint. And what I love the most about it is, it's not a new program. It's one of our core values. It's that tangible expression of God's love. Because we at LifePoint will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ. At LifePoint, 
We already have so many living out their ministry. We have people who foster parent, or who are foster parents, grandparents who are raising their grandchildren, so many who faithfully serve as greeters, media specialists, safety members, worship team leaders, those who prepare our breakfast, those who teach and lead our children. The list goes on and on. But the beautiful thing about all of it is God is in the center of it. Hopefully by now, you've noticed you have a card sitting next to you. We would encourage you to place this card somewhere visible in your home. We're thinking the refrigerator because I don't know about you, but I frequent that place most often <laughs> during the day. If you are ready to share God's love in a tangible way, we would love to partner with you by providing you opportunities to help get you started. This card lists a few of the organizations that we are currently um, sharing the love with, and um, the card also shows um, how you can have uh, get excuse me how you can reach us and get hold of additional information. We've listed on there. Um, this is brand new, by the way, guys. As of this week, you can now visit lifepointfc.com slash share the love, and you will see a comprehensive list of initiatives and their dates. Perhaps you're like me, and you don't always feel like you're quite ready, or maybe you're not equipped. If that's you, I would like to share a quote. I would rather be a small part of something big than a big part of something small. I want to remind you, at LifePoint, we are not waiting on a move of God. We are the move of God. And in every way, our desire is to be transformational, not just transactional, because we exist to help people find their way to God. And so my final question to you is, what is breaking your heart, and what is God preparing you for? Thanks, Brenda. Yeah, share the love. It's, it's awesome. Check that out. It, it really is the heartbeat of what, what LifePoint's all about. Helping people find their way to God, loving on people, all, all of those things. We don't want to tell you, you know, how you should serve or always where you should serve, but we want to equip you with opportunities to serve. Something, you know, we could, the next part of the message would really be somewhere in the realm of, okay, how do I do it, Right? Uh, I think the more crucial thing, uh, and Brenda even mentioned it, it's the idea, right? You figured it out. You, you feel called to something. You're stirred. You're like, okay, this is it. I know, I know that thing. <clears throat> and you find yourself saying, I don't want to. We, we can laugh a little bit. But if you've ever felt this, please don't feel bad. You're in good company. The Bible is full of stories of people that didn't want to. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Moses, we mentioned Moses earlier. This one is one of my favorites, right? So Moses couldn't speak that well. Uh, we don't know exactly what. He was, just didn't have the words all the time. So he says, God, like, listen, I can't bring the people out of Egypt because I, I can't really talk. God, having patience, says, you know what? I'm God, and I will teach you the words to say. And then Moses, no trouble saying these words uh, in Exodus 4.13 Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Please send someone else, right? 
The Bible has ample advice and instruction on how we should be parents, the type of spouses, employees, friends we should be. Sometimes we just don't want to. Even Jesus in the garden before his trial and crucifixion in Matthew 26, 39, we find this verse. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus didn't want that calling, but not as he willed, as God willed. That last part of the prayer is the key to it. It's okay to say, I don't want to. It's okay to say, please pick someone else. Ask that it not be you. But when it comes down to it, and you know it's what God has called you to do, we need to obey and do that thing. It is recognizing that it isn't about us and how we feel. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. If you believe in that free gift, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, you're secure in your eternal future. You may not know what's happening tomorrow, but that eternal future is secure. And from that security, when you look around, I think you'll find you see insecure futures in others around us. As much as it pains me, and if you're looking, you will see that hurt, that pain in people's lives. But I believe if you're looking and you see it, you guys will do something. You guys will shine in that moment. You'll answer the call. It may just be forgiving someone that's wronged you. It may be fostering or adopting a kid. It may be starting a nonprofit. It may be serving with Share the Love. It may be mowing a neighbor's yard. It can look like a million different things. But those tangible expressions of God's love is what we're called to. Giving people a glimpse, more than a glimpse, the full show of what God's love is all about. That is how you're going to reach people. That's how we can be of service. And I believe God will put people in our path as we're making those choices to see it and to act on it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to share this today. I, I thank you for the ways that you've stirred me over the years and called me to move. I pray that you would continue doing that, even when I may push back, Lord. I pray for each and every one that's in here today and watching online, Lord, that you would just show them what it is you have for them. Show them the things that you're calling them to. Show them how they can dole out tangible expressions of your love, Lord. I just pray that we wouldn't miss the opportunities that you give us, that we would make the most of each and every one to help share your love with people, Lord. I thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.